Hello and welcome to the Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Folk. The Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate the women in business who are shaking shit up. This week, we're going to talk about managing health and business during a crisis. Our special guest, Senior Operations Manager for First Hand at Cerner, Shauna Ademic. Did I just say it wrong? Adamic. Adamic. Oh, we said <laughs> we practiced three or four times because it looks completely different. It does. I and think I, I messed you myself. up. I think I messed you, you up. Because then I tried to get fancy with it. So Shauna Adamic. Yes. Okay, perfect. We'll share her personal experience on the subject today. In all fairness, you were Shauna Hilt last time I saw you. Yes, that is fact. It's been a minute, right? <laughs> so, welcome so much. I'm excited. Thank you. We haven't seen each other for a long time. A long time. It's so great to see you. You've been through a lot. Yes. Yes. A, yes. A whole lot. A few babies and a lot more, right? Exactly. Yes, I saw you last time. Exactly. Changed your last name on me. Made it more <laughs> difficult. So we're a little older. <laughs> well, I didn't get. I'm just kidding. a lot older. It's been a minute, but all right. So this week we're gonna have a brand new segment. This is pretty exciting. So okay. we've been kind of doing the same thing since the start. Since the start, we used to have the shake on here. So we would have a different article. We went to a different quote, but then we started getting questions from a lot of our listeners. Mm. And so now we're gonna have a ask a boss segment where Ooh. we're gonna do, read a question that a listener has sent it, and then we're both going to give our feedback for them. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. All right. So this is exciting. So ask a boss. Is it boss advice for your boss life? In this part of the show, we read an anonymous letter from a lovely listener and share your advice on how to manage a work situation. So let's dive into it. This week's subject reads, my office manager is the devil. Oh, that sounds intense. Hi, Aaron. I currently work as an office slash doctor's assistant, and my office manager seems to be the worst person on earth. There have been multiple times where she has given me direction, which I then follow, but then she comes to check my work. She says that I have done things the complete wrong way. I like to think I work pretty fast, but since working here at the job, my office manager stands over my shoulder telling me that I'm not working fast enough. Since working here, I've become more anxious, and it is harder and harder for me to leave work at work and go home to rest. Every time I wake up and get ready to work, I get sick to my stomach out of anxiety and fear of losing my job. What should I do about the situation? Who should I talk to about my office manager? And should I just quit? Please help. Wow. You go first. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So that sounds um, that sounds like an intense environment. And, yeah. you know, it's so interesting because that is – it's challenging to get feedback, go back, make a change, come back with a result, and it not be the right one. Yeah. And it, I heard something once that I thought was the best advice when becoming a manager, and that was – that you find what everyone is good at. You find what the associates that work for you are good at, and then you get out of their way. Yeah. You let them do it. And it doesn't sound like that's happening for, for this listener, and that's unfortunate. I think some of my best advice I can give is that keep producing results, keep keep coming to work every day and doing what you need to do. At the end of the day, it's not your problem to fix. Yeah. It's her problem to fix. Yeah. You think he's coming to work every day? I do. I do. I, I think when there's a, I think if she's at the point where it's a, I need to talk to somebody, yeah. you know, who's the person that the office manager reports that's, to yeah. and that's the, the person that you go and talk to because when it definitely, I mean, when it becomes more a, oh, you're just not doing what they want and you know, what they want is subjective. You know, they're coming from their own personal. Yeah. That's not how I would have done it. But if, but now when it's become a, 
point where it's almost a hostile environment, then she needs to definitely go and talk to the person that that person reports to. So I guess to. we're assuming that she hasn't talked to that person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with you on that. Um, what if that person takes the office manager's side? That's challenging. If they take the office manager's side, I think, you know, another point is when you go to someone with a complaint, with a problem, you go with them and you say the problem, but you come with a solution and it's a, so here's what I think, here's what I've been doing, but maybe here's what I could do better, or here's how we could work to better, better together. And so that way it's not just a whining, complaining, here's my problem. You take it and do something with it. It's a, you know, this is really causing a a health issue for me. And, but this is also what I'm willing to do to, to help it myself. And so you come with them as a, you're willing to help and what, way that you can. So I love that you come with a solution. I think I'm kind of, that's what I say all the time around here. <laughs> I go, I hired you guys. You guys are smarter than me. Come, come to me with the solution. Right. Right. Because if I have to stop and figure out the solution, it's going to set us all farther back. Absolutely. So I love that you say that because now I don't have to answer it. <laughs> she already took my answer. I hope the segment continues to go like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, hey, I mean, that is one of the best practices you can you can start to put in your everyday work. Yeah. It's, it's just that don't think of the things that you look at and don't find the problems. If you see a problem, then you come up with a solution and then you become your own boss. So, and that's, that's exactly where I was going with this because... Should I just quit? Well, if you quit, it sounds like you have a solution to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. If you're in a solution where you can just quit, then you already have a solution right. to pay your bills. So if you're that unhappy, um, we I was just talking with somebody recently of um, people that quit without giving any notice. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I feel like that they have given themselves notice, right? Because you don't just up and quit right. without having a backup plan. Absolutely. Or otherwise they have much different bills than me. Right? <laughs> at the end of the day, those bills don't quit. So that was, well, that was great advice. No. Yeah, so if you'd like us to read your letter on our podcast, send your questions to girl at cocktailhourpodcast.com or send us a message on social. We'd love to help you out. Now, let's finally introduce our special guest. You guys, I'm so excited. <laughs> Okay, Shauna is a senior operations manager for First Hand Cerner's Corporation's corporate philanthropy dedicated to improving the health of children, families, and communities around the globe. She fundraises alongside Cerner Associates, Cerner Business Partners, and key members of the Kansas City community in order to create a healthy tomorrow around the world. Recently, Shauna helped raise over $1.8 million for First Hand through sponsorships and special events, and in 2017 was selected as a Cerner as a Cerner Masters Award recipient because of the world-class experience she created within the foundation. Well, congratulations. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's so fancy. <laughs> it's very fancy. I had to read it a couple times. <laughs> Through her 16 years, there's no way you've been there that long. I have. I Seriously? actually just celebrated my 16-year anniversary at Cerner. It's crazy. I didn't know you started working there when you were 12. Yeah. Well, it's just, I feel like they raised me through my 20s. Let me just say yeah. that. And there were a few mistakes. Good, good for you. 16 years with First Hand. Shauna has remained devoted to her other interests including cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs for eight years while she traveled the world entertaining U.S. troops, where she was also selected as the 2007 Pro Bowl cheerleader. Whoa, look at you. I was in much better shape then. I think we were working out then. <laughs> I, or working out. I was, we were at the pool. You were, right. you were probably working out. I was just at the pool, but we were hanging out back then. And I didn't know you were winning all these awards. Shauna and her loving husband are raising two beautiful, crazy toddlers. Ava's four, Jonah is three. In this past year, Shauna was diagnosed with a rare benign brain tumor called an acoustic neuroma. 
The tumor was golf ball-sized and life-threatening as it was pressing into her brainstem. Shauna and her support system were determined to find the right care plan, and that is exactly what they did. After a nearly 12-hour surgery, her surgical team removed 98% of the tumor, and Shauna was determined not to let that moment define the rest of her life. She was committed to come back stronger than before, and that is exactly what she did. Ah, you almost have me in tears. Welcome. <laughs> Thank I'm, you. I'm almost in tears because we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, yep, yep. And so I watched all of this, but we've never been good enough friends to, like, call or text. Well, you can. It's I, open. We could. Now I'm going to send, give you my number us, and expect yes. text. But um, I watched all of this unfold on social, mm-hmm. and uh, I just remember being like, wait, what? Because that's not stuff, A, that happens to you, right? Or B, that happens to really anyone you know usually. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and you did a beautiful job, and we'll get into it a little bit, but you did a beautiful job of really, I feel like, letting people in to see, like, the real side of it and the emotional side, but saying, but I got this. Yeah. So, um from over here all the way over here in Shawnee, just know people were watching, <laughs> played a big part. Aww, so, well, let's you. get into this a little bit. Let's let's not start with the brain tumor. We'll okay, get there, okay, right? okay. But you, it says right here, it's not going to define you. Yes, so we'll right, get there, right, but right. let's start. So how old were you when you started Cerner? Was that first job out of college? Gosh, it was, uh, it was my first job out of college okay. and I was 22. So, so it's really all you've known as far as business. Yeah, you know, I've been with, I've seen... Our foundation, which is firsthand, um, and um, they've grown from three people when I started to now we're actually going to be up to over 100 at the first of the year. And this is, you know, within Cerner Corporation, and it has just grown by leaps and bounds. And we are not only um, a local organization or foundation, we're global. And so Mm -hmm. we're helping kids and families and communities all over the world. It's it's. Uh, reactive and proactive care. So helping with medical bills, equipment, displacement for those kids who need it the most, who fall through the gaps of insurance to um, really creating population health models and focusing on the generations to come, not just the ones that are right now, but what's going to happen in the future. So it's exciting. And it's something that I truly feel like is my life's work and I'm passionate about and has also allowed me to do so many different things and still continue to dabble in the other things that I'm interested in, whether it be public speaking, dancing, can't so much dance as well anymore, but, um, and also my life and family. And so it's really, I, I always, think that I'm so blessed to think of work as my home away from home. And I really do. And it's because I pour every ounce that I have that that I don't give to my family into my my day at work. And um, I'm there just to make sure I can advocate for those families who need it the most. What did you go to school for? Communication. I actually interned for um, the local affiliate to NBC here and wanted to be a reporter. They wanted to send me... But a much different life. Yes, they wanted to send me somewhere else for a a much smaller amount of pay. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, see what... I can do here in Kansas City. And I actually just happened to fall into this this job, this opportunity. And I laugh because I still to this day will tell the story that my executive, who's my executive and vice president at um, Cerner, she hired me because I came into that interview all of 22, so confident and had a folder where I'd printed off uh, 
PowerPoints of <laughs> what all my talents were. And she's like, you can do PowerPoint. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so today I still tell a story. I got hired there because I could do, PowerPoint. do PowerPoint. And I'm really bad at it now, which is <laughs> the funny part. It's, it's total irony. I um, teach some LinkedIn courses and I just, uh, the other day I was in front of a bunch of um, women execs and I said, please, off of your resumes, off of your LinkedIn, take off that, you know, Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, like that's not a skill anymore. Right? It's, it's like, you just you better know, you better it, know it. Uh, there are a couple, a couple older women that were like, that's really? great advice. <laughs> like, Take it off. It's more embarrassing if you don't know it. <laughs> it's great advice. You might as well add Facebook to that because it's just like, yeah, PowerPoint. I mean, yeah, it is. It is so funny. But now people make your PowerPoints for you. It's, you know, I, I hope they do because they need help. And so I pass them off and I always uh, put in there and some wordy, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is so terrible. And just apologize ahead of time. And they make it all <laughs> yeah. I always get complimented on our presentations. I'm like, it's all my team. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> it. It would be bad if it wasn't and it me. looks beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> they make it look gorgeous at this yeah. point. So I bet when you took that job, you didn't see yourself there forever, did you? No. Mm -mm. I did not. Yeah. I did not. I I man, I didn't even see myself there for a year. I was constantly at the very beginning, um, looking for other opportunities and, um, and I don't know everyone's belief, but I felt like that, that God had me there for a reason and yeah. that's where I stayed. And man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I did. You know, I, I feel like my journey began and, um, Melissa Fraking, as well as Neil Patterson, who is the founder of, of Cerner, and his wife, Jean, Jean Lilig Patterson, who is the founder of First Hand. They, um, they just, they, the three of them have been just instrumental in, in my career, along with Cliff Illig. And I've been very, very blessed to have them as mentors. And this past year, it was interesting because it was a hard year for us at Cerner and First Hand because we lost our founder. We lost Neil yeah. Patterson. And at first hand, we lost eight weeks later, we lost Jean Lilig Patterson. Mm. And it's it's interesting because at work, you spend as much time with those people as you do with your own family. Yeah. And so just having uh, that kind of that heartache and then knowing that our founder at first hand was so passionate about finding those invis invisible, excuse me, kids around the world. And that was her life's work. That was her passion. And during her 10th, this this last decade of her life, she was so resilient and lived through um, breast, bone, and brain cancer oh and, and found a way to still do the work she needed to do. And so sh she really set the, the bar high when it comes to um, managing your life with your life and then knowing that you're here to help others. You think you were channeling her a little when you were going through stuff? 1000%. 1000%. And I it, I I just feel that there are so many lessons along the way that I learned from her mm -hmm. that um that man it was it was a blessing to do so because I had that to go back on yeah. to think through. And so it was it was we lost Neil. Eight weeks later, we lost Jean. And then it was um, about an eight weeks later, I was diagnosed. And so just a feeling of a roller coaster of emotion for me through that, that work experience. And then having that personal experience, it was like life stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that. So you have two little kids. I do. Right? Yes. Uh, you married a guy that was in our group of friends for a long time, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. So you were always the girl we always said, why isn't she dating somebody worth worth? <laughs> 
worth of her, right? <laughs> right. You really Which were. I contact you. Seeing, you know who I dated in the past. I remember seeing previous boyfriends, and we're not going to call them out here. Going, why? Because they're nice she, people. They're great people. They are great people. people. But like, you were just this other level person, right? You always kind of had your shit together. We're allowed to say shit here. So you've always had your shit together, more than like a lot of people we knew did. I'm really glad you think so. Well, you were. <laughs> you had a real job. Let's start. Okay. <laughs> um, but you were always that person that were like somebody eventually. You know, eventually she's going to get over the bad boy phase. Right. And some man's going to be very lucky. So I remember you you, you, you kind of started dating out Mary quickly, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we so. definitely did. And, um, you know, we – I like to always say that my husband and I love to surprise people. And so um, the announcement that the baby was coming came before the engagement announcement. <laughs> and Been there. So. <laughs> And um, it just, it's one of those scenarios that, you know, we just happen to love each other very, very much. And we were, he's my person. Yeah. And I am just so Had you thankful. known him, though, before? Because he it, is best friends with your best friend's husband. Absolutely. I did know him along the way. And he was the so guy. Did, what happened that all of a sudden he was your person? It, you know what? It's timing. It's yeah. all timing. And he's the guy that um, I would see at the Falloon out yeah. at different places. And I remember um, seeing him at Amy and Kevin, Kevin Culp's wedding. And we kind of connected, but we were both kind of seeing other people. And the next day he was new to Facebook and he got on Facebook and tried to search my name. Well, he tried to search my name and then he closed it, didn't know what he was doing. His best girlfriend, Angela Basca, you may recognize yeah. that name, called him and said, you just tried to search Shauna, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, you put it as your subject. So it was in his subject, this announcement. So it got back to me and I was like, okay. He's oh, like creeper. on his Yeah, Facebook on his post. Facebook. And so he pulled it down and then fast forward. <laughs> take me off. <laughs> yes. Fast forward several years later, Amy asked me, she's like, hey, you know, Jeff keeps talking about you. Will you just go on a blind date with him? Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, the guy who's always drunk at the bars, like that yeah. guy. And she's like, yeah. She's like, just give him a chance. And I met him out and I, the, as the story goes, I showed up with a ponytail and my glasses and flats, which I was totally not interested which means you in a date. Yeah. 100%. And, um, it was an amazing night. We had so much fun and we, you know, every day since then we've been together. So I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if you know this story. No. Do you know about when him and I went to lunch? No. And he was trying to be a really good person? Okay. No. So, tell me, um, tell me, tell me. I don't know how many of our listeners sometimes I talk about this, but I went through my last pregnancy by myself. Mm. And I remember walking out of the, I had a CT section and I was walking out of the hospital. I think my mom went to get the car. So I'm standing in like the doorway with just my baby and I can't hold my baby because I'd had a C-section, right? So I'm just standing like where people are coming and going from the hospital in this adorable couple comes over and they go, this is going to seem really weird, but are you Aaron Folk? And I was like, yeah, I'm still high as a kite on medicine. Like it's three days after C-section, right? Yeah. And they're like, we, and it was Amy and Kevin, we haven't met you, but we kind of know your story and we just wanted to give you our contact information. And if you need anything, please reach out to us. We know Lily's father. We know it hasn't been a great. And now obviously we all know it's awesome, but we know it hasn't been great for you too. And we just know that you're going through this alone. This is weird. You don't know us, but here's your here's our information. Which to me, I'm like then crying. Like, thank you so much. That's you guys amazing. are such kind people. Yeah. Somehow I ran into him at some point, met Jeff, and I think we had kind of known each other, but he was real good friends with Lily's dad's cousin. Oh. And okay. so he was like, hey, I know you. 
I'm totally going to be your friend too. Like they're all in <laughs> on my friendship, right? Like, we, so he had Facebook. He's like, Hey, let's grab lunch. I'm over by your office. Da-da. So we went to lunch and there was that cause he was in that party. So we we're talking and he's like, yeah, I totally did it. And I was like, I just, at that point was like, for some reason, it was such an eye-opener of yeah. what Lily's dad was going through because I knew he didn't understand, but yeah. he was trying to yeah. because he was trying to be a friend. It, you yeah, know what I mean? he was trying to relate. He was and, trying to. Yeah. There, was no, like, there was no, like, for, I remember that lunch what gave me insight because he, what he was doing is he was trying to give me insight to what Lily's dad probably was thinking. Like, if all of a sudden I just had a baby coming and I had wasn't any part of the plan. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it was such an amazing insight that I think it was a big part of my healing with Lily's dad. Oh, and he I probably doesn't that. even remember that lunch. I think we went to some Mexican restaurant right by my office and it was definitely because like Kevin and Amy were like, we all need to be friends with her. <laughs> we're all going to be friends. That's awesome. Oh, I like, love the, that story. I think we seen like all of us and seen each other at the bar. Yeah. We're all just, everybody was going to be friends with me. They were being very kind. But yeah, it gave me a really good insight That's into that. Awesome. So then, um, I'm raising a newborn, so I kind of fall off the face of the earth, right? Okay, yeah. I am raising mm-hmm. a newborn. And then I start to see that you guys start dating, and I'm like, this, how's this going to go? <laughs> because I just saw his insight, and she's amazing, and I just got to watch her get away from the guys. We, and then all of a sudden, that's what I mean, is that it just looked like he became a whole new man. That's amazing. And yeah. I love that you have that. I think that's, um, it, it's like you got to see the transition between him being a young bachelor yeah. to all of a sudden having to, to and grow like up. And like became a man. And yeah. Like, he is, looks as though he's an amazing father. He is. He is. He is a better parent than I am. Like, yeah, I'm not even kidding you. He is the. I feel like he's the diamond in our, in our family. He's such an amazing dad, an amazing husband, and I feel like I learn from him, which is awesome in itself. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to see him with with the kids. I mean, they think that he is their superhero, and yeah, so like that's an awesome feeling. Yeah. That's so cute. Listen, uh, I love that story, by the way. I think yeah. that's amazing. I you should tell him he should have told you that a long time I'm ago. I'm totally going to tell him <laughs> that this, that he made the, and his response is going to be, so you mean that I was the center of the podcast? I'm like, yes, that's what, that's what <laughs> exactly I'm talking about. Right yes, here. exactly. Um, so seeing that he was a, what seems like a good father and a good husband. So here you guys have this cute family. You have a great job. You're killing it at your job, right? Everyone I know goes to your big event here every year. All, and everybody looks Oh, that's amazing. good. That's good. <laughs> Every year they say you guys raise a ton of money. So, and then can you tell the story about when you're on the airplane? Yes. Yes, I will. Um, so over the past couple of years, I've been underdiagnosed. Um, and so you were going to the doctor for, I was going to the doctor for several years. And so, I mean, probably like, what were you saying? Like, what were your symptoms? Really? My symptoms were, I was kind of dizzy. Um, every now and then I'd kind of feel like I had brain fog or I was super tired. I'd I'd occasionally have a bout of vertigo, but I always uh, chalked it up to being dehydrated or something. And, and I was sort of losing my hearing on my right side, just enough that it just made it hard to hold a cell phone up to that side. But everyone kind of has a good ear, like, or a bad ear, which they, which uh, they don't hold their cell phone up to. So I kept justifying it. And every time I would go to the doctor, I'd under explain and I'd say, well, I'm feeling this, but I think it's this. 
you were diagnosing yourself. It, it, well, exactly. And, and a lot, yeah, exactly. And, and a lot <laughs> of times, a lot of times people will go in and they won't actually say, Hey, I just don't feel right. And they'll, they won't stop. And what I always did was I went in and said, I just don't feel right, but I can, I can say it's this, this, and this, this, and the doctor's like, maybe it is. Um, so I was being misdiagnosed, uh, underdiagnosed, being sent to an ENT for chronic sinus infections. They even told me at one time I might have Meniere's disease, which is an iodine deficiency. Um, and all these things that could be fixed. And during this time, I was I was uh, preg- pregnant with both my kids. One's turning three on Christmas. Yeah, and they're then, pretty, pretty yeah, little. Yeah, the they're very back. little. I was pregnant with both my kids, and then I was nursing. And so they kept saying, okay, we'll, we'll deal with this after you're done. Um, so then we went up. My husband took me to Sonoma last year, and it was last August to celebrate our anniversary. And so we were on the plane. I was so tired. I kept thinking, I'm just a tired mom. That's all this is. I just well, need to get away. now you got little kids. So oh, yeah. That, right? And so I was just like, I just want to sleep all the time. And on the plane, um, Jeff, you know, he took a stab, like, watching a show, Maria Menounos on the Today Show, and she started talking about the symptoms that led them to find a golf ball-sized brain tumor. He nudged me, and because one of her symptoms was she started slurring words that were easy for her to say normally. And, you know, I do a lot of public speaking when it goes to the events for firsthand, Cerner, and I noticed there were a few words that I was slurring as well. And I just thought, again, it was like, okay, I'm just talking too fast, um, whatever it was. So he, he nudged me and he goes, babe, this sounds like you. And it was this feeling of that was the moment that I could either ignore it or make a call. We got off the plane at San Francisco, in San Francisco, and I called over to my doctor. Like right when yeah. you got off the Yeah. I oh, called wow. over to my doctor and said, I need a referral to the specialist. Um, in California? And, or in can- No. Uh, and uh, back at home. So okay. I wanted to get back in with a specialist. They referred me. I went into that specialist. But and- so did you guys do your do your weekend in there? We did. What I slept the whole, time. the whole time. Nothing. I, I thought it was just so when I made that appointment, I was like, okay, I did I did my work. I made my appointment. I followed up on my care. Check. And I was like, okay, I need to tune out of work. I need to get away with my husband. I'm not even gonna think about it. I drank a lot of wine, which was awesome. And <laughs> so that everything was and, right. And then <laughs> and then I slept. And so and what Jeff always points out, he's like, I feel like you were asleep most of the time. And he's like, if not, we were drinking wine. I'm like, well, you know, that's what you do. So <laughs> what, what did he want you to do? I know. I'm like, that's, we were in Sonoma. <laughs> what else are we going to do? So, um, fast forward then, you know, I went to that, the specials appointment was two months out. And so that's I went a long time. So what's your thought process? Are you thinking about it? No, I wasn't thinking about it. I thought they were going to give me a hearing aid. I thought I was losing my hearing and it was knocking out my equilibrium. And so I thought that that was my dizziness and they were going to give Why me a Why did you aid. get to that point? Why did you think that? Um, because my hearing started becoming, it started digressing a lot the few months before. Okay. And, and I started thinking, that's the problem. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's my, I need to get a hearing test. So went into that special appointment. They put me in a booth, tested my hearing. I had unserviceable hearing in the side. I didn't realize how bad it was. And they, you know, they said I basically couldn't hear, um, you know, the loudest noise. They had to turn it up to, I think it went to, I want to say 60 or 80 decimals before I could actually hear on my right side. And so he, you know, came in and he said, you know, I think, I think you're right to come in. Something is definitely going on. He goes, what I think we're going to find is something really small that's sitting on your hearing nerve that's blocking a signal to your brain. He goes, we're going to schedule an MRI. And I, that point kind of started shaking and, and kind of said, what? And he goes, don't worry. 
It's not life-threatening. You've lived with it. And so I was like, okay, well, that's helpful. Like, I feel better. Are you there at the appointment by yourself? Yeah. And I, did, you, I didn't know it was going to be, yeah. you know, who, no one so thinks they're going to be told they're yeah. a brain tumor. So I went to the MRI um, pretty quickly. And then what I had walked in the door half an hour after my MRI was over and got a call from my doctor who was calling on a cell phone. He goes, Shauna, he said, what I thought was there is there. He goes, it's not small. He goes, it's golf ball size. He's like, yeah, he's like, it's, he, he didn't know. He said, it's golf ball size. It's pressing into your brainstem. And he said, um, and I go, you, you said it wasn't life threatening. And he goes, and I'm going to take it back. He goes, (gasps) because he goes, your brainstem, he's like, this is something that needs to come out now. And so they gave me my life expectancy the next day when I went into um, our, Wait, what do you mean they gave you your life expectancy? They started off the appointment with of if I was to live with the brain tumor the way it was now, what things would look like. Okay. And if you didn't have surgery. Yes. And so they what said did that look like? they said we're gonna give you about a year before oh you're gonna God. see some more serious consequences. So we're gonna we need to do this surgery now. So what that looked like from that point is I got the first plan. And the first plan, I felt like it. You really got to listen to yourself, and you really got to know that you are your you are your body's advocate. You can advocate for advocate, excuse me, for your own health, and this is your life. Yeah. And I got that first plan. I thought, okay, okay, I just I just don't feel I don't feel like. This is this is the plan for me. The first plan to have the yeah. surgery right then? Yes. Okay. And I just don't p- feel like this is the plan for me. And so I reached out to Maria Menunos and who I love. How, how? How do you do that? I sent her an email. How'd you get her email address? I sent to her. It's the email address that anyone can obtain. Like for, when you just yes, Google. Yes, like exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I sent to her email address. I told her my story. What did you think your chances of hearing back from her were? None. Okay. I told I told Jeff, I go, I'm literally sending her a thank you because I feel like she saved my life because I had no clue this was it. So it was. Were you like, did you consider yourself a fan of Maria Menounos before or not? Like, like. Could you name a bunch of our movies or anything before that? Well, I actually, I kind of was a fan because I watched, who didn't watch Channel One growing up when they're, you know, that's, that's where she originated yeah. from was okay. Channel One. And so, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, I was. It, so you're familiar. Yeah, with absolutely. And she's, okay. she's just, uh, I've always thought she was an amazing person. So I um, just felt like I needed to tell her that that was a moment in my life that impacted me forever. And it was within 45 minutes, I think she reached back out and said her producer had sent that over to her. She was in tears and said, this is exactly why I put my story out there because I have to help others like you. And um, she asked me in that email, she goes, you know, we exchanged a few times and she said, you need to get a second opinion you have to get a second opinion. Please get a second opinion. And so that's where the that's where you saw my post on social media. I had no clue how to get a second opinion. Um, yeah, because on, you have to have referrals to these doctors, right? Well, I know. Yeah, I could reach out, but it's when you think about brain surgery, it's how do you even get a second opinion on brain surgery? So I, I just had to sit back. I started to look at all my resources, make my list. You know, I've worked at Cerner for a long I was time. Say, did your and job come into that? 
that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people who had contacts elsewhere. And so um, I knew I could get it. And it's just a matter of when, how, and where we got it. And I posted on social media, the post that you saw of my family told everyone what was going on because I feel like knowledge is power. You get that out there and you also get so much support and put that out there. And it was within a few hours, I got a direct message from a girl named Amy Pittman. I went to college with her 17 years, 18 years ago. And um, she was my sorority sister. She danced with me on the dance team and just an amazing person. She's brilliant. And she said, Sean, I don't know if you know what I do now, but I'm a facial nerve reconstruction surgeon at Loyola Medical. And the doctors I work for have done more acoustic neuroma surgeries than anyone in the country. And she goes, I want to get you a second opinion. So I overnighted my medical records to her and she got them in front of the surgeons. They called me and the next day- Where are they located? In Chicago. In Chicago. Okay. They called me the next day and um, I had a consultation over the phone. My husband and I ended up flying there two days later. And um, I just remember I was like, okay, just praying and thinking, just give me, give me, you know, some a sign here to help me know this is the right place, that feeling that I need. Cause you're in this moment yeah. of panic. I mean, this is your life. This is your, and I needed a Hail Mary. Yeah. And um, so I got there and I remember the doctor looking at me, it was actually one of the, one of the surgeons, Dr. John Leonetti. And he said, this is going to be a big surgery with a big outcome. And the other doctor, Dr. Anderson said, Sean, I'm going to tell you one thing. You're going to go to sleep and you're going to wake up with your life. And so I know. And so I left there and I just told my husband, I was like, this is it. Surgery was scheduled for January 11th. And so we got everything prepared. How long between this and the second opinion and the surgery? Um, We went to the second opinion on December 6th of last year. And then um, the surgery was January 11th. So about five weeks. So what does those five weeks Five weeks over Christmas and which is a hard time. In New Year's, which is your I spent so much money on my children last year. They got every present, (laughs) every present, because I was like, you want it? Santa's getting it for you, okay? (laughs) And so they got every present. What's your thought process, though? Oh, my thought process is they've got to remember these. They've got to remember these. And at the same time, it was just like, you know, I was working through this panic, this, you know, this uh, adrenaline, like I was just working through. And, you know, I had these moments along the way where I would just you know, stop and, and and pray. And I'm very close to my, you know, have a very strong faith. And, um, there were a few moments leading up to it where I was quickly given like, you know, everything's going to be okay. It's that, it's that breakdowns though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you have those around your husband? Do you have them by yourself? Around your kids, what does all of the like? above? Never my all kids, never my kids. I would always wait till they went. That to makes bed. you pretty damn good, mom. I, I'm, I tried. There were a few times where I was like <laughs> to my daughter Ava, I was like, "Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me." And so I, I like, need to know, know now. now. <laughs> and Jeff's like, "Calm down." Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. You know, I, when I tell the story, Aaron, I always say that the hardest day of my life was January 10th. It's the day that I left for Chicago. And I had to leave my kids. And you know this as being a mom. I it it just you you I had to to hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. I had to believe yeah. that I was gonna come back better. And I I just knew I was. Did you do anything in, like any letters or videos like a nope. just in case? Nope. Do you think if you would have that would have broken that? that faith and knowing. I think if I would have, it would have given a shadow of a doubt. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that my approach was the no, no, I'm going to I'm going to rely on my faith and I'm going to get through this moment with my family and everyone has their own approach. That was just my personal one. I'm going to tell you there was Maria passed this on to me and, um, and I kept repeating it back to myself, but she said, uh, gave me the best quote that I, I put with everything. And it's, I thought it was going to be some, from some philosopher that was fantastic. And she's like, it's Rocky Balboa. And she goes, (laughs) and it's, not how hard you it hit, it's how hard you can get hit and continue to move forward. Yeah. And I was like, yes. I was like, I'm going to be able to get up after this and go on until the next day and the next day and the next day. And so when I left on the 10th, I remember my daughter Ava looked at me and she gave me a hug and she goes, I don't want you to go. And she knew I was going to be gone for several weeks. And I said, I got to go, baby, because you want mommy to get better. And she goes, are you going to get the bug out of your ear? Because that's how we talked about surgery. Mm -hmm. I had a bug in my ear. And I said, yeah. And she goes, are you going to come back? And I go, absolutely. And I gave her a kiss, gave my son a kiss, and we, we left. And... And I Did wasn't. They stay with your parents. They they stayed with everybody. There okay. was a list everybody of everybody. In, okay. Parent, uh, parents, cousins, um, coworkers. I mean, everybody. Oh, wow. It was amazing list of people that that came out and helped. And I mean, from the time we were gone to the time we came back, everything. And so. It was just, and then knowing that my, my husband, just remembering that he's going through a battle of his own because I mean, I'm his, his one true love, I like to say. So, um, I, having to watch me go through that and hoping that everything would go the way it planned and, and, and it did. So the next day I went into a, um, nearly 12 hour surgery where they went into two parts of my, my skull. Can you tell people what happened right before you went into surgery? Oh yeah, yeah. So right before it was was one of the. Sorry, I haven't followed you a lot on social. <laughs> <laughs> which was one of the best parts is that um, my husband and Maria uh, had started talking, and Maria said, "I have a I have a surprise plan for Shauna because during the duration of this, I would literally I didn't listen to any other music besides this is my fight song by Rachel Platten to the point where I was listening to remixes and Jeff's like." <laughs> Lord help us. Can you stop listening to it? This is my fight song by Rachel. And so um, I had told Maria that once. And Maria's like, well, Rachel's one of my really good friends. So she worked out a surprise with Jeff. And the morning that before I went to surgery, I'm laying there, you know, my care team's around. Everyone's like pumping me up and uh, making jokes about the medication they're about to give me and all that stuff. And Jeff goes, well, uh, Maria sent you a surprise. And it was a... Um, a clip of, uh, excuse me, of Rachel talking to me and she goes, Shauna, this is Rachel Platten. And I just want to tell you that you are going to do amazing in surgery. You are a fighter and you're going to get through this. And I just started breaking down. I was like the, the love, the outpour and the prayers that I knew were coming in was just some pretty major off people the chart. Too. Okay. And I didn't know that story. So the story I was talking about is the picture of your husband. Oh, in your ear right before. that's equally as special. <laughs> <laughs> just as important. But. Jeff, I love you. That's so important. Um, yes, that one was actually fantastic. So after he showed me the video, they said, okay, Sean, it's time to go. And they go, are you ready? And I said, yeah. And you went into this knowing you were going to lose all your hearing. Yes. So I went into this. They said there was no way we we're going to save your hearing and hearing on my right side. And yeah. so I said, yeah. And um, Jeff sat down beside me and he goes, okay. He's like, I want to talk to you for the last time in your right, in your right ear. And he said, and I have the video of it. He yeah. said, I love you. And I heard him. 
And that was the very last thing I heard in my right ear. I can't say it without crying. <laughs> and by the way, I can still only cry with my left eye. This eye doesn't cry. Oh, wow. And so it starts to look hilarious because this eye is super weepy. And then I get super serious over here. So it freaks people out. And so I try really hard <laughs> not to, not not to, to cry. cry. Well, I just look terrible when I cry. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because you, you have posted that. And I thought that that, that was just really thoughtful. And he, he came up with that on his own. It was amazing. Yes, he's yes. Nice. He's that's that's the kind of guy he, he had is. He come up with some, something pretty good after he, Maria. Moon, I you know. know he's like, I got to tell Rachel this. Plan, right? <laughs> However, I probably will get hazed that I told that story before him whispering in my ear. We're doing it in time order. I know. Right? That's right. Thank order. you. Thank you. Great point. Okay, so you go into surgery. What? Uh, so, are parents there? Are your parents there? My mom. My dad's no longer living. So my mom. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Um, what does it look like for you, Jeff and your mom? Have you ever asked them? Um, you know, it sounds like a long 12 hours. For it's a long support team, right? It, you know, my mom, um, I saw, we all saw my, my dad battle through a lot. Uh, he, you know, battled cancer for oh, several wow. years, passed away. And, you know, my mom knows that feeling. And so she's, that's her baby. Yeah. Can you imagine sitting out there with your, in a, you yeah. know, it's your baby. And so, but she's also a woman of faith. She just knew, she knew, she knew. And um, then Jeff is, he is the epitome of positivity. I tell you, Aaron, there are days that are dark and like where I think some, you know, that I get just negative and he is always the turnaround. And so he just, you know, he's, he had uh, two friends that flew out. He's only friends with people named Jeff. So it was Jeff Cloud <laughs> and Jeff Weber who flew, who, Makes it easy to who th- flew out and they just sat there and they, with them? yeah, and they, wow. they played games and, uh, they helped take care of my mom. And, you know, he just said, he goes, it was, it was the worst hours of my life. And he goes, cause it's the woman I love in an operating room. So yeah. And, uh, but the best thing about it was during it, he get, kept getting, um, updates and they kept saying it's, it's going as we planned. He, they, he did get the update. It was like no tumor they had ever seen. Um, it was hard to come out and wow. that's why it took so long. But, um, at the end they got out 98% of the tumor and I always, I always tell people that right before I went in, I was like, okay, I'm going to give over, you know, born back to my faith. I'm I'm going to just totally trust God with everything I have. That comes with my, my, you know, ability to chew, my ability to move my face, my ability to hear my kids, my family, my brain, my life. And it was the moment when I remember opening my eyes that I started seeing everything come back. And it, is, it was like receiving it like a gift. And it's, it's like, man, if the small price to pay is my hearing. And I did lose the, I had paralysis on the right side of my face, which they had, you know, they hoped would be temporary. Um, and it came back pretty rapidly. It's uh, 95% is back right now. And, um, which is another blessing. And it just, again, Your face looks perfect. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. I hoped you say, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, other people are having <laughs> surgeries just to get faces like that. So. Um, and so it just was, it was just this a beautiful moment of you, you don't ever stop and you don't you're not you don't ever stop and say thanks yeah. for those small things and the small things being one of them just being your life. So then you're in the hospital for mm-hmm. how long? Um, <clears throat> I was in the hospital um, for six days. Oh. 
And then I was released, but I had to stay in Chicago um, under care. And then the surgeon who reached out to me originally, Amy Pittman, Dr. Pittman, um, who I went to school with, she offered to take care of Jeff and I uh, for the next several weeks. And so we stayed there. But the best story is that, you know, we didn't know if I'd be able to walk right away. We thought I was going to have to be in therapy for the the next month. But they actually said that... uh, probably owe it to that dancing background that my, that I was able to kind of figure out my, my equilibrium and, and really had the strength to, to kind of walk. And so I was able to walk with the walker on day three and with assistance. So on day six, when they released me, it took five hours for to do paperwork for my family. And then there was a blizzard um, that was happening outside and there was a shortage of wheelchairs. And so they couldn't get me a wheelchair. And I was sitting there, sitting there, and I was like, I got to get out of this hospital. I got to get love, out. Isn't it something like they have to usually, it's almost like law that they have to put you in the wheelchair oh, every no patient, matter what? Yeah. Every patient. Okay. So I, um, can I cuss on here? Yeah. Okay. I just said shit like seven I was, times. I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so I turned to my husband, and I was just in rare form, and I saw a I, I saw a walker, and I just turned to my husband, and I was like, get me a fucking walker. And I'm, <laughs> and he got me a walker. I started walking out, and the nursing staff um, goes, she can't do that. And Jeff goes, yeah, you don't know my wife. <laughs> and we got on the elevator, and I was like, peace out. I am leaving wow. this hospital, and it's just into brain surgery. And, um, I say that lightheartedly cause they were all great there, but it was just like, when you're ready to get out, yeah. you get out. And so, um, so yeah, from that moment on, it was like, okay, that's where I said, this does not define me that, uh, I don't want, I never wanted people to say, remember Shauna before the brain tumor. Yeah. I wanted it to be a moment where it was like, damn, she, she came back strong. Yeah. And so I was going to do that in any way I can could. So that's been that has been what's driven me to um, not only be you know be mom, be wife, and then obviously in my career, it's that guys just like love every minute of life and live it. But do you go through any depression during any of that? Like why me? Why you, now? Uh, you know, I love that you asked that question because I think that you know it's so easy to mm-hmm. to get to the why me. And I'm going to tell you that that was one thing that. Um, People ask me along the way, even before the surgery, like, man, aren't you sad? Isn't why me? And I kept saying no. And I said, because if I ask why me, I'm actually saying why not someone else? And that got, that got, that got me. But it, oh my gosh, you didn't struggle with any sort of, I, okay. So backstory, you know this. Yeah. Um, Yep. (laughs) So while you're having brain surgery, I have my gallbladder out, which seems like a very trivial thing compared to brain surgery, right? But it's not because you go through, I mean, you still go through those same emotions of it's big. Yeah, but it's not brain surgery. Let's just be honest. It's not brain surgery. It's the chances surgery. of, of suggesting coming out on the other side of a gallbladder surgery like 100%. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a surgeon. <laughs> but, but maybe, I, I mean. But I feel like on Grey's Anatomy, they're always fine. <laughs> gallbladder <laughs> surgeries, right? I love that you just said Grey's like, Anatomy. We'll just move that one around. I know. Brain surgeries on Grey's Anatomy, that's about the extent I think they did a, dr- a brain transplant on <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. I'm yeah. like, that is not real. <laughs> But so it's not a big surgery. I struggled hard with depression. One of the reasons I think I even um, was able to get a little bit past that is because I was watching your story. And I've already really? told you that. Oh. But because I was like, not necessarily like, oh, well, I don't have it that bad compared to her. But it was more like, from the looks of it, it wasn't affecting you. Yeah. But I can't even wrap my mind around that it didn't 
that there wasn't some struggle, internal struggle. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you. It's like, it's, you know, uh, I, I didn't ever ask the why me and that's just an honest answer. And, but that's amazing. But that says a lot to your character. But what I, what I, what did happen was it, it was a feeling of like, it was a crushing panicking feeling that was not even centered on me on what I was going through. It was the look in my kids. And it was like, and so I saw my father lived through a really hard battle of cancer and came home at the age of five and he didn't know who I was. And he had uh, some effects to, to uh, his brain at that age um, or when I was that age. And so I saw that and I saw, were you a kid when he passed away? I was nine and I saw my room be turned into um, his hospice care. Mm -hmm. And, and so when I, when I got hit with this, I, I, I remember even thinking about my dad and even thinking about that experience. And I thought, daddy was so strong and, and I'm going to be str- so strong for my kids. And I, I, I do not want them to go without a mom. And so, and I just kept, that's what was giving me the panic. And it was like, okay, you got to give me the strength because I can't even let my mind, my mind go there. I gotta, I gotta, um, just hope and believe and just know that I'm going to get the best care that I can. So my moments of panic were never moments of the, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to deal with it? It's the, I got to be here to give, be this, the, um, a mom to these kids. Yeah. Yeah. Any conversations? I know you said you didn't make any letters or anything like that, but any like logistic conversations of if this goes a different way with your husband? Um, I told him, I gave him a list um, and it was right before I went in, I gave him a list of to do's <laughs> and which he thought he's, he goes, I feel like you're managing me right now. And I was like, I totally am. And so this is who you call for this and blah, blah, blah. And then I said, um, you know, make sure to, you know, let e- these people know how I'm doing and everything. And, but I, I, I kept refusing to say the what like if? Just did. Yep. Like mm-hmm. it was just a list to do while you were in surgery because yep. you were busy. Yep. And I remember going to, um, I remember going to an appointment with my kids, and a person I was talking to at my an appointment with my kids for my kids didn't know what was going on, and I, we just happened to start talking about it. it was before the surgery, and it's people's reaction are so interesting because it's. There, the first reaction this person had was not a okay, you know, thoughts, prayers with you. Wow, you're gonna you're gonna be great. Or either I'm so sorry. It was, ooh, you better get a will. And I remember thinking, like, took every effort in my body to c- combat that that moment, and also just kind of smile and say thanks for the advice. And That's a like, nice way to handle. And it. I was like, you shithead. Okay, you know, I'm married in two weeks and. I've had quite a few people go, you better get a prenup. Oh, um, so my like God. Thinking the worst. And it's like, you can't think like that. It's like, <laughs> it's it's truly, I mean, there is actually like, I just I just read a book called The Entre- Entrepreneurial Nonprofit. And in there, you can apply it to the rest of your life. It's the um, example of believing in the outcome and not putting a timestamp on when, but just knowing it will happen. And it's more likely to happen. And there is not the disappointment along the way of not being able to hit a deadline. And so it's just the the believing in the outcome and it's believing in yourself. 
So what about the other 2% of the tumor? What's that? It's just there. It It is hanging out. It doesn't grow? It's funny. Not a lot of people ask that. And I always tell people, I'm like, you can live with a benign tumor for the rest of your life. And they actually, so some of, some acoustic neuromas that people are diagnosed with, because it's actually considered a rare tumor, um, a lot of them don't have to be surgically removed because it's not doing anything. And if it's not growing, it's not causing any damage. And so um, they're just going to monitor it. I get my one year mark MRI actually in a few weeks. So wish me luck. And (laughs) um, and I believe you're going to be great. Thank you. Thank you. We believe we will win. Um, And so (laughs) (laughs) a little sporting plug. (laughs) Um, And so I do an MRI at one year. I do another one at three years. The last one will be at five years and at five years, if it hasn't grown, I'm cleared of the disease and I don't have to we did Good that with app. my son. He was born with a little kidney kidney disease, and we had to do the, the you know, the first few months of dealing with it, and then the yeah. one, I think we did six months. I think it was a baby, six months, one year, three years. Yeah. And then I remember that five year one, and I was like, wait, we just never come back for it. And they're like, no. We how died. how great was that? I'm yeah. like, I, I want. I I'm carry, excited for that moment. I, <laughs> used to, I used to move a lot around a lot, and I'd always carry these scans because I knew I had to take them. So this one thing that I always never knew where anything was except for these scans, and in the five years, I was like, we're done. Wow. I bet that was just like a, I mean, I can imagine that release of, especially when it's your baby. Yeah. It's like, oh, thank, thank God. So, um, so you guys go back to Chicago for that? No, actually we'll do it here and then we'll just send the results out to Chicago. So what did the first doctor say? Did you ever talk to him again? Yeah. And they were great. Um, what I really respected about that first doctor is that he came in and said exactly how many times he'd done my specific surgery. And, you know, and that was my window to, if you find someone else who's considered, you know, who's done this more. Um, And so I remember talking to someone and they said, um, when it's, you know, you got to think of your body like the, uh, the most priceless, like, high-end car and you're not just going to take it down to the shop down the street. You're going to take it to the dealer. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you gotta, I mean, gotta do your research. So, you know, if any, any pedestal I'm on right now is about advocating for your own health, getting that second opinion and, um, just the perseverance being what about being able to pick up. Do you, do you do groups that have gone through this? Any support groups? Or? No, you, I actually I actually don't. And um, I do support the acoustic neuroma, the um, the local the local branch of it, and which is great. They do support sessions, and they'll bring in experts and new releases on um, nerve rejuvenation and and different things. Do, and so, so you go to events there? I don't, but they okay, do that. But yeah, they do but that. yeah. And do you so, think that um, having Maria in that same spot was probably maybe feel that for you? I do. And I also think that this is interesting because I think, you know, having Maria, having gone through this and, um, she and her husband, Kevin, they actually met with me on Skype and were able to talk with me through the ups and downs and tell, tell Jeff, you know, a few things along the way from everything from you're not going to be able to poop after surgery to sex is <laughs> terrible right away. And I mean, I mean that, I mean, those are things that are well, real. Like that's you guys ever, yeah. Those but are the real, real. Stuff, right? And sex was super awkward right away. <laughs> I mean, after break, you can't move. And so oh. anyway, so it was, um, it was interesting to get like the real life, like like things. Now, I, uh, one thing I would say is that I, I feel like I'm kind of glad I, I didn't 
dive in too much to all different support groups yeah. because that can get overwhelming because then you kind of almost stop listening to yourself. Yeah. And I, I feel like time of meditation, reflection, and also even prayer, I mean, that's important and that's important in life. And so just being able to rely on um, yourself as much as your support, that's just as important. Do you feel like though now when your kids um, and or you or Jeff, or I guess really anyone in your family, when there's something like a migraine or a headache or a, do you feel like you're a little bit more aware of now we need to go to the doctor? Oh girl, I'm a hypochondriac. And, um, and so, I mean, my pinky hurts and I'm like, it is death, uh, DEFCON (laughs) five, whatever you say. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm like, I have my, my primary care doctor, like I can text her right away. And I think she is so annoyed at me sometimes. (laughs) And she's always like, it's fine. And she's like, it won't be like this forever. And I'm like, yes, it will. I'm like, I, and I'm super hypersensitive. So you just scan all the things, make sure we're fine. Oh yeah. I'm like, can we just do MRIs every month? Um, just to make sure (laughs) that everything's good. Cause I feel like it came out of nowhere. And yeah. so that, that has caused, and it's, it, it's interesting. So when you asked about the emotion, I feel like there's been more emotion post the surgery than before the surgery. And the post-surgery is a lot like a, a post-traumatic syndrome. And, um, and I have actually talked to somebody about that because that's a, that's a real thing. And that is, I mean, when you've dealt with trauma, and I think you were probably talking about this, it's a, it's a, like a heart stopping moment, your breath goes out of your body when something triggers it and you think, am I going to go back there? And so that's the emotion I've dealt with. And that, that is, you know, came, it's like science right after it happened. And so that's, that's been an interesting thing to deal with. Yeah. I think the post, the post is way tougher than the pre, right? It no is. matter what you're dealing with, even like it is. Uh-huh. Even when you have a kid, <laughs> you know, the post is always way harder, but everyone prepares you for up to that point. No one prepares you for really afterwards. It's so, I mean, it's really funny you say that. Cause I told, I told Jeff, it's like many, this is a, having a kid is a great example, but, and I just feel like after the surgery, you, in any surgery, you kind of feel like you're on an Island. You're like, mm-hmm. is it, is it okay? Do I, am, am I okay? I mean, I still have, you know, bumps on my head. Am I okay? And, you know, part of the surgery was they actually um, made an incision from my right side to my left side across my belly button, button, and they removed my fat cells. So I got a tummy tuck. And um, <laughs> they removed my fat cells. Nice. They used my fat cells um, to they, – they put the titanium. So I had this side of my head's titanium, okay. and they used my fat cells to reshape my head. So oh. otherwise, my head wouldn't be this round. It would be more flat. And so I had this surgery as well. So you essentially had two surgeries. Right. And so, but having this new, I mean, it feels like I kind of, I tell uh, my husband, sometimes I feel a little bit like a cyborg (laughs) and for all of you nerdy fans out there, like, you know, sci-fi, I love that stuff. Like when you go through metal detectors? No. And that is a question we asked though. Oh, that is so funny. Uh, well, I feel like you can't even have your bracelets on. Sometimes. No. When they told, when they told us that I would have titanium plates, my husband, it was so funny because we were in there. I'm like shaking because I'm like, okay, it's hard to process the stuff on your own body. And my husband's like, okay, so can she not go through metal detectors anymore? And then uh, the, and Jeff on the same level. I know. And the doctor goes, it's a different property. It's not metal. And oh, so, it's not? yeah. And so, and so it's I, not? well, 
I didn't know that either. So anyway, so that's one of the big jokes whenever I talk about it too, is I'll say that and the audience always bursts out laughing because everyone thinks that it would go off. So yeah, it's, uh, but no, I go through this phone, but I do get nervous every time. I'm like, (laughs) what if, what if I do? (laughs) Just in case. Um, if somebody was getting a, I mean, brain surgery is a pretty I mean, you about hit the most drastic surgery you can have, right? I'm going to hope I don't have to. You really went 100% on all in. But if somebody was getting ready to go through kind of their own, you know, big, big thing, what's your best advice as they prepare for that? Mm -hmm. Man, I would just say, um, I would just say that just, you know, one thing I heard before, and this actually came from um, my pastor, as I heard him say over and over again and through the past few years, the worst thing is never the last thing. And I had to repeat that to myself several times because it was like, okay, there's going to be a day that I get my smile back and there's going to be a day that I can blink my eye and there's going to be a day where I can eat a steak again. And it's kept just know in any situation, the worst thing is never the last thing. There's always a bright spot. How peeled are you on a one to 100%? One to 100%. Um, man, I think, I think physically, um, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm about, you know, I would say I'm about 85, 90%. And, uh, and on the physical level, like there's parts of my face that, um, you know, I still can't lift this eyebrow up all the way. It just looks like I have bad Botox, which is great. Um, and, oh, you and, everyone else and, uh, uh, I would say on an emotional level and I, I think I'm getting there. I think that's going to be the part of the journey mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. And it is funny because people will always say, wow, I'm so glad this ended up the way it did. Well, for me, it, it's still a journey and yeah. it always will be because it changed the very core of who I am. And so that's, that's still going and it's, and it's growing. And, um, I would say that the journey isn't, isn't bad. It's, it's great. And I would never ask that to have happened. I never would want that for anyone else or myself, but I'm using it to be a better person. I heard my friend, um, Eric Weinmayer, who is the first, he's, he was, he's been on the cover of time. He's the first blind man to summit uh, Mount Everest. Mm. Unbelievable person. I didn't do that blind much less. I know. I'm, you know, he's amazing. He said in life, you're going to find, um, quitters, campers, and climbers. And he's like, quitters, self-explanatory campers have something happen to them. And they kind of stay put because they're afraid to move. The climbers are going to climb past it. And he goes, and then you're going to have alchemist. And he goes, and they're going to take anything they're given and turn it into gold. And I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) And I don't know how long you have a brain tumor. Like, I don't know how long that was in there. Do you know how long? 15 years. Okay. Had you found it 10 years before, seven years before, before the marriage, before the kids, are you the same person through that whole thing? Hmm. No. Yeah. No, because I, I mean, I, it, that's a great question. And I think that um, during this time and during the time that I was diagnosed, I had a um, unit around me that was so strong. And that is what I, that's how I survived. Mm-hmm. And that's where I drew in energy from. But had that happened seven years ago, 15 years ago, it was found. And, you know, been there, it would have been a very, different approach. Wow. Yeah. Jeff watching TV, right place, right time. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's just 
Just little things, little whispers. You wouldn't have been on your way to Sonoma or any of that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That is it for this week's Cocktail Hour. Do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman? Do you know a woman in business who is shaking shit up? Send your recommendations to HeyGirl at CocktailHourPodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Erin Folk. Keep your class and your glass raised, and we'll see you at the next Cocktail Hour. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you. Thank you.